0: Learn, experiment, achieve, and take off. We're anthropologists and social scientists who put leaders under the microscope. We are your eyes and ears to dig up the most valuable insights for success to help make you and your business better. We give you the tools to lead your future and help build leaders we all want to look up to. So, rise to your potential, launch. Welcome, I'm Rebecca Bennett, your host. Welcome back to the pod. Today, I will be speaking with executive coach Beth Armneck Miller. She is a leadership development advisor. Today, she'll be sharing with us what she learned from facilitating CEO think tanks at Vistage, the world's largest CEO coaching and peer advisory organization for small and mid sized business leaders. Today, Beth owns and operates her own leadership advisory firm called Executive Velocity. We'll explore topics such as succession planning, reskilling, resiliency, and exiting a business. All topics that are top of mind for many executives today. Her stories provide great examples of what to do and what not to do, and will definitely give you a different perspective on how to run your business. My wish by bringing her on the pod today is to inspire you to become a better leader with some great new things to try. So without further ado, welcome Beth Miller. So Beth, tell us how you fell into coaching small business owners and into people development.
1: So I love the term that you use of fell into because in a way I did fall into it.
0: (laughs) I, um, my
1: husband and I had a, a technology consulting practice um, back in the um, late 80s through the 90s and sold it in uh, 2003.
0: And then you went to work for, is it Vistage? Vistage.
1: Vistage, okay. it, Vistage sounds much better though. Vistage. <laughs> Vistage, which is a CEO membership organization. And they help small, mid-sized companies, their, their owners, Uh, in a variety of ways, they bring them together in groups for um, kind of like um, mastermind groups and peer advisory groups. And so I facilitated a number of those groups over um, almost 13 years. And through that time, I also coached them individually, which was, was also part of the program. So that was kind of my introductory into coaching and leadership development um, back in 2006 and I immediately found my calling. Now I really focus on the people side of, of the business. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the talent, um, making sure that that they have the right people in the right seats at the right time uh-huh. doing the right things. Vistage is, is considered a think tank or, uh-huh. or a peer advisory group so You'd, um, basically, there were 12 to 16 Vistage members in a group, and they would meet on a consistent basis, just like a, a board. Um, uh, they would meet monthly, and it was a place where they could bring significant issues um, to their peers and get advice. Um, there's there were no competitors in the group, so it was a real safe place to bring bring issues and and get unbiased opinions. Mm
0: -hmm. That's, that's an interesting concept just in itself uh, that Vistage does is bringing together small groups of executives that are non competitive in creating that safe space. I feel like that that's something that is is, would be super valuable for any executive I, I talk to a lot of um, c-suite executives and one of the most common things they share with me is Rebecca we're lonely up here at the top we can only talk about yeah. our homes with so many people so that's right that's exactly right Rebecca. Um,
1: it, it it was a, a real safe place to to talk issues out you know uh, many of the, the people were you know founders entrepreneurs who had grown their businesses and you know they they couldn't talk to their friends about the, and they certainly couldn't bring it back to their spouse. So, um, yeah, it, it is lonely at the top.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. I think it's, it's not only great for uh, your personal mental health as someone who's running a company. Um, but it's really great to get that diverse perspective, I think is really important um, yeah. have that moment to step outside of the company and get viewpoints from people in under other, other industries seems like a really valuable mechanism or, or tool to have in your back pocket, uh, essentially a board outside of your company.
1: Yeah. Um, we, we often said that that, that day a month was a day that, that owners and, and leaders of companies could work on their business and not in it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I hear that time and time again. And in so many of the episodes, it's, it's the same, same thing over where it's, you really need to be working on your business and versus in that's what you hire your team for. Uh, Just directing our conversation towards trends that you've seen. um, First of all, for the first question, I want to ask, what is it that you personally learned in facilitating that think tank. If someone uh, were to want wanted to go about facilitating something like that, perhaps internally in their company, what are some ways to go about that? And then we'll jump into some external trends after that.
1: Well, well, the the first thing that was really important is that um, the individual was given the opportunity to present the the issue in in a way, and then ask for specific feedback meaning you know what direction should I take um, or um, here here are the options how would you rank the options okay then before the group could give them feedback they had to ask clarifying questions that would would round out the information before they provided, uh, feedback. And one of the one of the rules we always had was it can't be a Jeopardy question. So have you tried X is not a question. It's it's you know what have you done, how have you done it, you know, who have you who who's helped you, etc. So um, none of those those um, Jeopardy questions were allowed. And it got to the point where the group knew the, the norms and would self-facilitate. They, you know, they'd say, wait a minute, you can't, you know, that we're not, not at the point of giving recommendations yet.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's so easy to jump, want to jump straight to the recommendation, but you have to really understand the problem first and take that time.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And of course, you know, sometimes it was um, opinions and other times it was um, coming from experience. You know, Mm -hmm. somebody else might have had a similar experience.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, so going moving on, I want to look at kind of in these these conversations that you've had with high level executives over your career, are there any uh, are there any kind of key recent trends that you've picked up on about things that uh, high level executives are thinking about in regards to their their business that you'd like to share?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously um, the environment that we're in today, is very different than six months ago. So um, what what's on their mind today is is obviously very different, mm-hmm. and it depends obviously on um, the industry that they're in. I mean, some some industries are thriving. Um, telemedicine, you know, that the companies that are in that space are are doing very well.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but there are other spaces where where it's it's been harder, like staffing companies. Where hiring has has dropped, and so you know, people aren't needing recruiters and mm-hmm. and um, temporary staff. So there's there's a real mixture. Uh, when I spend time with CEOs and executives today, I always want to check in with them from an emotional standpoint first, as to you know how how are they doing? Because most of the most of these folks that I work with this is their livelihood you know they're not, they're not a hard gun most of them their most of their financial wealth is is tied up in the company so a lot of them are very stressed and it's it's really important that they take care of themselves first before they try and take care of their employees because mm-hmm. if they're coming across anxious and concerned that's That's not a good message obviously to their employees mm-hmm. so you know what what are those things that they're doing emotionally and physically to to help themselves first mm-hmm. is is a conversation that I often have, mm-hmm. and you know we will explore you know what are some of the things that are are working for them, what are the things that maybe they should stop doing or start doing mm-hmm. um, and then it's making sure that they are presenting themselves to their employees in a, a confident way, but transparent.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because the fact is that no one of us knows what tomorrow's going to bring.
2: Uh-huh.
1: It's so fluid right now.
2: Mm-hmm. So
1: the the CEOs and leaders that I work with today, they they have. They have plan A, B, and C already set.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: and and they know what what to look for externally that will require them to move from A to B or from B to A. Mm-hmm. And they are really transparent with with their employees on what those things are.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So that the, so the employees understand, that there's a plan and that there's, there are other plans based on changes. Uh huh. So that what the, the point is to try and build confidence in the employees,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: because if they don't have confidence in their, you know, they're fearful and anxious, they're not going to be
0: productive. Of course. Of course. That makes sense. I'd like to move into uh, succession planning um, right now. I know you have quite a plethora of experience in, in operating in that area. And before the, this episode, we were having a conversation. You were telling me that, um, at least it was a mind shift for me, but to think about succession planning as essentially resiliency. Can you talk a little bit more about your experience in helping companies in that realm and how to connect that to resiliency?
1: Yeah, so um, one of the things I think we chatted about was the fact that uh, oftentimes the, the hardest part of a succession plan is getting the owner-founder to understand what it's going to look like on the other side. What, their whole life has been built around um, the company, building the company, nurturing the company. It's their baby. And many of them have, have no idea what, what it's gonna look like. So I work with them to start imagining and planning for what it's gonna look like on the other side. So, so that's, that can be a six month to a year process. Oh, wow. uh, then while they're doing that, then we actually start the succession planning process. Mm -hmm. And so you need to make sure that you understand the key positions in your organization today, as well as in the future based on your strategic plan. And then you need to understand, okay, if, if one of those positions suddenly is empty for some reason, that you have somebody ready Internally to fill that position.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So a lot of it has to do with, with development of, of um, your talent and making sure that individuals are ready to step in versus stepping in and not being ready, mm-hmm. which is oftentimes what, what I find happening. is, mm-hmm. and, and that's generally when I'm called in because that person needs some coaching. Right. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's big stuff
1: yes exactly yeah so so that when you have that succession plan and you're implementing it because it's it's a it's a process you you put a plan together but you gotta redo the plan every year and you gotta make sure that the development is taking place of, over over time but it provides you with with resiliency as an organization it's um I also look at it as, as uh, risk mitigation, that you know, you're, you're managing the potential risk of an, an empty position that's critical to your organization.
0: Mm-hmm. One of the things I was thinking about as you were mentioning that is oftentimes you have this um, visualization of the type of person that would be ideal to succeed in a certain role. And let's say you just don't currently see that person with that potential at your company. Tell me if I'm wrong, but I would imagine that it would be important to groom someone internally anyway. So at least you can put them in that position in the interim while you're still seeking that external talent. Would that be an appropriate?
1: Yeah. Yeah, it certainly would be. Um, and there, for instance, I'm working with a, um, client down in Florida right now and and they've part of their business uh, proposition is, is technology. Um, but it's not the, it's not the core, but it is, it is critical. And they've got basically three directors, but they don't have a CIO mm-hmm. and I've been working with them to, to determine does one of those three, have the potential to to be prepared to be CIO in the time that they actually need a CIO.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And, and the answer is not really. So, so now it's okay, well, we need to then start looking externally.
2: Uh-huh. and
1: And the whole idea would be to bring somebody in that was fairly mature and probably towards the tail end of their career Mm-hmm. because the others others are in their late thirties, early forties and and train you know train them have have a true leader from a technology perspective, and then from those three, you can identify in maybe five years somebody that would would be able to step in.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one of the scenarios I was thinking about is if you put one of those, say, three directors in the role as interim CIO. Mm-hmm. If you if your timeline just hasn't lined up perfectly where you've spotted that that person yet, okay. You add, you add these responsibilities to the role, the additional title. How do you when you do find someone to take over that role? How do you transition that person? back without right. insulting yeah. them or <laughs> so I mean a part
1: part of that is being really clear with with the person that you know this this is an interim thing you know that you know we we are looking for somebody and and to be clear as to what are the things that is that person missing and and that's why they that they have to go externally mm-hmm. uh, you know it's not not impossible for for somebody to you know fill those 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 big gaps. Mm -hmm. Um, So you know just be transparent with them. Let them know here here are the the gaps and while we're looking if you can fill them cool. Mm -hmm. If not, um, you need to be prepared that you know you may not be going back to that exact position. You you, you might give him a, a a title you know from VP to senior VP or whatever, or director to yeah, so okay.
0: yeah, yeah. that helps kind of smooth. No one likes taking that step back, even if it is right. transparent and part of the expectations. Regardless, there's still some kind of an emotional
1: role. Oh, yeah. it, it's your ego's tied up in it, yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, what are you gonna tell your other buddies? Uh-huh. You know, I was, act, I was acting, but I never, never became official.
0: Uh (laughs) Uh, So speaking of succession planning, I want to, I know you've seen a lot of small businesses make mistakes um, during their journey. And I want to understand what are some of the common challenges or mistakes that you've seen those businesses make and how can we learn from them? Uh, Oh gosh. Well,
1: uh, one of them is getting confused between High performers and high potentials they they don't equate a high performing software engineer does not make a high potential software engineer manager
2: mm-hmm.
1: and um, that that is another time where I'm often called in where where the leadership has gotten confused about that they've elevated somebody into a leadership position without the, the knowledge and skills and sometimes the, the personality and emotional intelligence to be a good leader. And they quickly find that out. um I, I've got one client right now where they, they elevated him because he was going to leave. So they gave him a pr- promotion to a manager position. And within two weeks, she called me and said, "I think I I think he needs some coaching," <laughs>
2: uh-huh.
1: <laughs> yeah. and and so I, I started asking questions. Well, how did he you know how did he get into this position? And, and that's when she told me, "Well, he was going to leave, so we we gave him a promotion." Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a small company, and you know it, when you want to retain talent, it, that's a natural thing to do. Mm-hmm what she should have been doing along the way was making sure that he and maybe some other folks are being developed for leadership Mm
2: -hmm.
1: versus just having them focus on, on software engineering. Um, Because then number one, he would know that she was investing in him Mm -hmm. and he, if he had gotten an, another job offer, he probably wouldn't have left. He probably would have wanted to um, maybe negotiate salary, but he, he might not have even wanted a leadership position. They never had a career conversation with him.
0: Oh. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's that goes to show it's really important to just have that straight conversation asking your employees what's important to them. What is it that they really want?
1: I, career conversations are really important in the succession planning process. Mm-hmm. You you need to understand who who's actually aspiring to to be leaders
2: mm-hmm.
1: and, um, you know, do they have the capability? Are they in, engaged in your organization from a long term perspective? Mm-hmm. Um, those are, are critical components to, to high potentials.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the, the other thing that I find missing is um, a competency model or a competency list. Um, a model can be very um, very expensive and I find overkill for smaller companies. Smaller companies, um, what I recommend is, is to create a, a list of core competencies based on your values and um and then a, a separate competency list for leaders so you've got two lists um, and then you can take your talent pool and rate your talent against each of those competencies
2: mm-hmm.
1: so that, and that's that provides consistency and the model itself the core competencies can actually be used in hiring the hiring process as well. If you understand what are those behaviors that are supporting your values, well, you want to make sure that people that are coming into your organization have those behaviors that are going to align with your values. Mm -hmm. So you're able to create behavioral interview questions that will uncover applicants' values Mm -hmm. around behaviors.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. So I, as I understand that the takeaway is that the, the high performers are the ones that are probably ready to take on be promoted or uh, six, Succeed um, in a role, but the high potentials are, are really the ones that need that development to be groomed groomed for a role. Yes. Yeah, exactly.
1: Gotcha. And uh, there's a, a model, a nine box model. That's used um, to to chart employees' uh, performance and potential,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and it's it's a it's a method that's been around for a long time. But it it helps you visually to say, okay, we've got you know some high potentials and high performers in the upper right hand uh, corner, and then um, and then we might have somebody down the lower left corner. Well, there might need to be a conversation around that person, uh-huh. right? Um, and then you've got, you may have somebody who is, um, you see with a lot of potential, but their performance isn't that high. Well, that could mean
0: that they're in the wrong seat.
2: Ah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. The right people in the right roles, like you were talking about earlier. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so we talked about the kind of common mistakes of, of succession planning and just really trying to understand who are the right people to pick and how to groom them I was wondering in your career if you've come across any best-in-class examples of companies who really have gotten it right
1: yeah um, I'm, I'm in the process of writing this uh, book for small businesses on succession planning and I use two two exam two real-life examples um, one who really did it right. And, um, you know, he started, he realized that he wanted to retire at 65. So at 60, he started to identify who his potent, his, his successor would be. Um, he got his successor actually in, involved in Vistage. So that was part of, um, his development
0: mm-hmm. was,
1: um, working with peers outside of, of the organization. And along the way through that five year period of time, he started to step away from from the business to the point where at the end of those five years, he was only at at work one day a week. Mm -hmm. Um, I call it becoming replaceable. And he became replaceable. What that did for him was when it came time to sell, the value of his company was was greater because he had a full team in place that was were ready and prepared to move the company forward after acquisition mm-hmm. and he got an all cash deal, which is very unusual
2: mm-hmm.
1: He also had no earnout, so he was able to get all his money at the time of closing, which is extremely unusual.
0: Yeah, I would say so.
1: <laughs> very, very unusual. But he did it right. Um, the, the flip side of it was a, a gentleman who had a company about the same size. who was a, a contracting, consulting kind of company. Um, and he had it all up in his head. His succession plan was all up in his head. There was no development taking place in the organization and he had all of the, the key client relationships. I got a call on a Sunday morning. He had died of a heart attack. Oh goodness. Yeah. And 18 months later, that company was gone.
0: Oh, terrible.
1: Yeah, it really wasn't. It, it was sad. It was sad because part of it, was that he he could see what it would look like after, mm-hmm. um, and and he also um, and this is this is oftentimes will happen with with business owners founders you know he he liked to keep it all to himself you know he'd he'd micromanage and um, and con- really wanted to control everything. And that, that was a big downfall. Mm-hmm. A big downfall.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's always the classic uh trade-off that in entrepreneurs or business owners have to deal with is control versus versus equity. Nobody nobody can do it better than me. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's it's yeah, it's nice to have that balance and just if you're able to share your company with your employees, I, I, yeah, you're right, I think it makes a better, it gives it a opportunity to, to move forward, um, gives it a future.
1: Yeah, and the, yeah, the nice thing about um, the other gentleman who did it right, um, he, he was really good to his employees. He made sure um, that when the sale happened, everybody benefited. Mm -hmm. it wasn't, it wasn't just him walking away with the money. It was. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So when a leader is ready to step down, that's like a whole nother ball game. So, so let's say they groomed their successor, but how would, how do you say you, you groom, so to speak, a leader to step down and handle that emotionally? Have you, have you coached um, people, leaders in that situation before? so um I've seen actually two
1: different um ways of doing it, one that works better than the other. Um, one is that they just like they're ready they they're done and they've they've got their successor and they walk away. Mm-hmm. Um, you now the problem is is that things can start happening if they don't have some sort of um method of checkpoints just high level checkpoints Mm -hmm. and um there was there was a woman that i i worked with where um she didn't have that and it it came back to bite her and she ended up having to fire the guy and and end up going back into the business at a time when she really didn't want to Mm -hmm. so it's important that you that they have um some sort of dashboard and you know two, three, four metrics that they can look at to make sure that it's going in, in the right direction
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, not to get into the detail um, in fact did you did you ever see the movie the intern? Yes, it's one of my favorites <laughs> I saw it the other night and I thought. That girl, she needs a coach. Um, she was so into the details, and that's why the investors wanted her to bring in a CEO. Mm-hmm. It was good. She, she was nobody could do it better than she could, uh-huh. and, right? And um, and the the fact of the matter is, if if you want to you know grow your company and then be able to exit it, uh huh, you've got to make yourself replaceable.
0: Yep. <laughs>
2: Yeah.
1: So um, it's it's really important that they have that that the mindset of I'm I'm ready. I know what's what's next for me. Uh, We'll we'll explore things like you know, okay, how what are you doing in the community? What kind of volunteer work are you doing? Um, You know, what kind of hobbies and sports activities and family and the, the gentleman who who did it right he he was heavily involved in his church and he also was very involved with his grand, he had grandkids and wanted to spend more time with them uh, traveling and so a lot of a lot of his his time was especially in the summer months was was traveling with his with his family his grandkids uh-huh so, so you know it's it's
0: finding it's finding that next passion yeah, yeah. Yeah. I would imagine it's important when you step down from a role to at least have one thing to look forward to that you're passionate about. Um, so starting that self-exploration journey before you step down, even if it's something as simple as just spending time with family, um, cause that, that's immediate, that's right around you. It, um, seems like, like a great, a great transition tool, I do know a few entrepreneurs who they've exited their businesses and they just take uh a hiatus and have to transition um, uh, um but
1: yeah it's uh, is to understand um and keep some sort of routine ah that you know, right you know and most most entrepreneurs will they'll figure that out um because that's just part of their
0: DNA. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, yeah, I I resonate with that. It's (laughs) my hard lessons learned uh, on the way to becoming a, how do you say, an effective entrepreneur, is I quickly realized, oh, just rolling out of bed in my PJs and going straight to my computer is not gonna work. I have to have a little bit more structure (laughs) to my day. Exactly, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) especially during
1: during these COVID times
0: oh especially especially I yeah once I I got it together I I was much more productive (laughs) Uh, so I want to talk about um reskilling the it's a hot word reskilling upskilling um in today's today's world, and I want to get your perspective on what are some ways that companies can effectively upskill their employees, um, mm-hmm. and kind of going beyond the traditional or online classroom, when is, what modality is good for kind of what situation?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, right, right now, I know that a lot of companies are trying to shift and get really creative on, um, you know, generating revenue and cost containment and things like that. Um, one, one of the, the great methods is um, job enrichment. And that is, you know, finding, finding projects that will allow somebody to grow and expand. And, and generally, those are, are projects that will be uh, cross-functional, so it would, you know, give somebody exposure to finance, for instance, or marketing um, or technology. That those those are kind of on the job learning. Um, they're they're productive because you got to do it.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: it's not gonna cost you any more money.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but it's it's developing that that person. So that that would be one thing. Uh, the other is I'm I'm a big proponent of of mentors. And you know, having having mentors both internally as well as externally. Um, but it's you gotta you gotta make sure that um, you understand the goals of the program and uh, what what the individual the mentee is looking for and what the mentor can provide. Uh, and it's obviously good to make sure that they they match and have a, a you know a personality match. Of as well. course. Yeah. Yeah, Um, but those would be kind of the 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 internal low cost methods Mm -hmm. of of upskilling in from what I've seen.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and then there's
1: and there's always coaching.
0: Yes, always.
1: (laughs) Um, And but coaching, not just you know bringing external coaches like myself in, but having a a coaching culture in your organization that. You know, managers understand how to coach because, you know, that is, I think, a really underrated skill for Mm. for leaders is to really understand how how to coach your employees. Um, I I run into it a lot where managers are complaining because, you know, they keep getting interrupted. People are coming into their office with problems. And and as I dig in, I find out that's because they keep solving the problems and they're enabling these employees to keep coming back to ask ask for solutions uh-huh. versus responding with a question of, okay, well, what have you tried so far?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, what's holding you back? You know, who, who else could be helping you? Those, those questions to get them to self reflect and come to their own solution, which they're gonna own more since it, since it's their solution,
2: Mm hmm.
1: And and then during that that conversation, you're going to start understanding um, their capacity for problem solving. And they will be reinforced to solve the next problem versus versus coming to you
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with the problem. Yeah, that's uh that yeah, that's very uh, an empowering way of, of enabling your employees. Um, and doesn't really cost you, <laughs> cost no. you anything. Now,
1: the problem I find is um, leaders are generally really fast paced.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's a lot quicker to hand over a solution to somebody than to slow down for 10 minutes and, and practice kind of a coaching in the moment.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the, there's a startup company that I'm working with now. I'm, I'm friends with the CEO and she hires a coach and she's just a newbie, just a startup, like barely breaking into revenue stage. And she's hired this coach who meets with each of her employees individually and helps grow them and coach them. And I just think it's such a phenomenal idea to think about having like a company coach just to be there for employees either if if they need it of their own accord or or you recommend that they (laughs) give Uh, gentle push towards the coach (laughs) with an intention in mind Uh, i think it's a it's a really great concept that can also help retain employees in your workplace uses yeah Yeah, exactly I want to take a look at now more of the recruiting and onboarding process, looking at it as a succession tool, Um, starting out with recruiting. When you're starting to interview candidates for a position, what are some key pieces of advice that you can give for someone in that interviewer role? about what are the right types of questions to be asking to hire or find that right talent the first time around? Well,
1: first of all, you need to get really clear on your core competencies and have consistent questions that you ask each applicant around the competency. Mm -hmm. So, um, for instance, if it's, um, if your value is excellence, then, um, one of the the behaviors could be um going above and beyond Mm
2: -hmm.
1: all right so for a question in the interview you know give me an example recently where you were given a task that um you went above and beyond Mm -hmm. that would be a behavioral interview question that that then you ask that question for each applicant Mm
2: -hmm.
1: that way if you if you have a consistent process and that's that's where i see a lot of smaller companies break down um, from a hiring perspective is they don't have consistency in the process they've got the you know there there might be a manager or department that um, has some really good best practices but they're they're not practiced across the board and One of the things that I like to do with with companies when it comes to hiring is start uncovering where the best practices are in the organization. Mm -hmm. And and then incorporate that into a consistent process across the board. So it's consistency, it's understanding the, the core values, that our core competencies, rather, that um, are then created a, a behavioral interview question from,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and then um, the the last thing is incorporating assessments
2: mm-hmm.
1: into the process. And I always I always like to to have companies use assessments at the point where they're down to their their final two or three. Because what it will do is it will provide you with additional information. It will help take bias out of the process. And, and you're working more with data. And it will uncover areas that you probably want to ask more questions about mm-hmm. a, based on the person and the, the, um, the job that's being, being filled. Make sure, though, that when you use that assessment that it's validated for hiring and I, a lot of people love Myers-Briggs and disk, neither of which are validated for hiring, um, which means that it it is scientifically proven to um, forecast future performance
0: mm.
1: on a consistent basis.
0: Mm-hmm. So I guess my, the takeaway is that from this, that I, I wanted to just reiterate is for our listeners is when you're interviewing, putting together an interview for a candidate is to tie a behavior to a competency and essentially ask that candidate how they demonstrated that behavior. That seems like a really simple model to follow, to develop your question list and um and I like that you mentioned um, to keep the questions relatively consistent throughout that way it's it's easier to compare when you when you do uh, inevitably come down, down to those last two or three candidates it's harder it's at that point it's the decision is much harder than picking from a wider pool right um, yeah so using that data to help you yeah. decisions.
1: and be, and and It'd be really rigorous on those um, behavioral interview questions. Um, you know, there's there are a lot of websites out um, that will will help help people understand what are good behavioral interview questions and what aren't. Um, one of the things is is not to lead the witness. So um, a question like, um, "Tell me about a time when um, you um, managed conflict." positively well that's that's assuming that they did
0: ah uh-huh.
1: right yeah. versus tell me about a
0: time you managed conflict uh-huh gotcha that makes sense let's move into into onboarding now we we recovered some we made some great ground over recruiting i want to go into <clears throat> what does a good onboarding process look like from your experience.
1: Well, it starts before they show up, number one. So as as soon as that individual has accepted, um, that's when you need to start um, interacting with them. And uh, the more interaction, the better. Uh, Hopefully during the interview process, you will have um, gotten some maybe personal information about them. You can't ask about personal information, but Hopefully it will have come up. um it might be you know a hobby, um a um, sports team, an alma mater, but something that um, kind of represents them and and have something now of course, right now you can't do it, but if we're back at work, you'd have something in your in their workspace that would remind them of you know their favorite baseball team or you know. They're, um I'm in, in the South, so you know it'd be um UGA you know go dogs kind of thing <laughs> so um, to make it personal yeah i I also suggest having um like the CEO make a a welcome video and and send it you know just a thirty seconds you know nothing long but just to make them them feel um part of the family uh-huh uh, the, the other is um you know, I talked about mentors earlier. Um, you could easily pair, pair them up with a mentor or, um, there was one company here in Atlanta, they, they call them Sherpas. And, um, new, new employees would get a Sherpa and the Sherpa would, would be the one who would, would make sure that, you know, those, those first several months, they were the go-to person that, um, would help them with, you know, kind of the social aspects of of the office, Um, you know, is there there their language or terms that that only you in the organization use, you know, maybe you have a little um, dictionary of of terms that only you and, and the team understand. Well, now the new person, new employee understands that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all different ways uh, of of onboarding um, that are can be really creative. I, I believe um, Zappos has has some good best practices out there. If you if you Google Zappos, I'm am sure they've got got some out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's really it's really important to to do it early and often.
0: If you are a bigger company, you tend to have a more scalable process right. and more resources. But get, getting that your candidates, um, your new hired candidates emotionally invested. Right. Exactly. So, yes. <laughs> right. And that's, that's what,
1: what those that, you know, starting early and often
2: uh-huh.
1: is, is all about is getting them more emotionally invested in, in their new family.
0: Uh huh. Yeah. And that personal touch from the CEO letter seems really genius to me. It, it, it I feel like it would make them feel very important. Um, right. Valued right from the get go. Yeah. I want to move on to um, how does one deal with a, so to speak, difficult employee? Uh, we, I'm sure we've all experienced uh, relationships like that with our coworkers uh, at some point. And it's, it's truly a skill that to be admired on how one can handle that situation. So from your experience, I would love to hear some stories and how people you've worked with have worked that out.
1: And there's all kinds of difficulties, right? Um, It's funny. I I smiled when you, when you said difficult employees, because um, I have a new, a monthly newsletter and um, this month is about difficult employees.
0: Okay. Great time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, um, you know, there, there's all difficulty is obviously in the eyes of the beholder. And there are, there are some difficult employees that clearly don't belong. You know, it's, it's like the bully. You know, it, that person needs to leave um there there are others that are um what I call the <laughs> uh uh-huh. where you know it, everything's negative woe is me you know more of the kind of victim mm-hmm. and 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 that's that's when you have to step in and in as a leader and coach mm-hmm. i mean a lot a lot of difficult employees can um i don't know is the word "turn around," but can improve through coaching by by understanding their behavior and how it impacts others as well as themselves. You know how are they being viewed by their teammates
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, when when they are being difficult? Um, there's there's the the um, I'm smarter than everybody else person.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I actually was in a coaching assignment. This was years ago. I was called in. Um, There were two guys that um, weren't, were having conflict. One was the, the, I'm smarter than any of you. And, um, and the other one was just, you know, done with it. Right.
2: Right.
1: Yeah. And uh, the reason they, they called me in was, they felt like the, the smart guy really could had some potential to be the CEO. He was, he was at a VP level. Um, but if he couldn't fix that, he wasn't, that was a derailer mm-hmm. and, um, it derailed him. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. All the coaching in the world was not going to change his mind. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the the other guy ended up getting the the president's position. Oh,
0: yeah. fantastic! What a yeah. start. Yeah,
1: yeah, I know. I, I was I was helpful in one.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. So so a lot getting getting back to the difficult people, a lot of it is around coaching,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: and then understanding uh, how difficult that person is. As it relates to team and team productivity, or is is the person just being difficult to you? It, you got to have the hard conversations, and some some of them will require consequences. You know, like like the bully. You mm-hmm. know, you have you have the conversation once. You don't have ongoing conversations over six months.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and if the person is unable to change behavior, then, then uh, you need to get rid of that person.
0: So one of the things you mentioned is it's, it's vitally important for managers um, to develop their coaching skills to help mm-hmm. develop their team. I was wondering if there's, a, say, a specific framework that's simple and easy to use that, uh, that managers could coach by that you'd recommend just as a starting point to help yeah. them. Yeah. So uh, there's a a book
1: at um, there. This called Coaching for Performance. I think is the the word uh-huh. uh, the, the title, but it's the model is grow. So grow is goals. So what is the goal of the conversation, okay? R is reality. So, you know, what is happening now? O is options. So what kind of options do they have to get, um, to get past whatever they're dealing with? Um, and then W is, is way forward, which means what are you committing to the next steps
0: that seems like a very simple easy to remember yeah to start with
1: I actually have on my website um, the model as well as a, a lot of questions for each of those those phases so if your listeners are interested they can go to my website and download that
0: definitely definitely we'll we'll connect them at the end for sure I remember in a previous conversation I was having with you, we were talking about the number one reason why people leave their jobs is because of their managers. It's because of the people that surround them. And, um, and a lot of times I hear it it basically the opposite statement, like why, why are you with this company? And they'll say, Oh, it's because of the people. Um, I was, I was just in a conversation
1: earlier today with, with a woman who's having a really difficult time with her manager Mm -hmm. and, you know, she's like, I love this company. I said, Well, you know, it, either you you help to fix this relationship, or you have a a difficult decision to make
2: mm-hmm.
1: if, if it's that hard. Mm-hmm.
0: I think this conversation has been geared towards how already leaders can become better leaders. But what if you're in a position where you're um, not necessarily the the had mucky muck right. <laughs> and exactly. you report up to someone and that relationship is not so great. What are some recommendations you can give to people to, to manage up better to help improve that relationship? Yeah. Um, well, obviously it's a, it's, it's
1: a two way conversation. I mean, mm-hmm. it's two people make up a relationship. Uh-huh. Just like when I hear people getting divorced and I hear one side of the story, it's like, well, but I haven't heard the other side, right. You know, there, the truth is somewhere in the middle. So, um, you know, in, for instance, in this, this situation, uh, one of, one of the ways that um, we're trying to bring the two together is in this coaching work that, you know, I am an external coach and I'm helping her specific to her, her career but I'm not there day in and day out. And so the manager needs to be her internal coach. So my job is, is to actually help both of them in this situation. Right. Right. Um, Now, if you don't have a coach as kind of the, and I don't want to call it a mediator because that's really not what I'm, I'm doing, Mm -hmm. but um, a way of bringing you and and your manager together, then. Depending on the relationship, um, first of all, you've got to own it, and you've you've got to get the courage to ask some curious questions.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: To to just get curious about the behavior or the interaction that you've been having with that person that isn't working for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you obviously you can't go in accusing them or, or judging them. It's it's being curious and open to those those interactions. What mm-hmm. what is what was it that caused them to to act in that way or say what they said? Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully that will will give you more information that may help you to understand the other person's position Um, in the situation that i just mentioned she we did a 360 for her and her ratings and his ratings were pretty far apart in a number of competencies. So I, I, I said, listen, you need to go and have a conversation with him to understand how how he interpreted the statement and what was the data that he used, um, the experiences um, to, to rate you that. Well, she did that. And apparently there were a number of them that he kind of backed off of and said, you know what, I, I kind of misread that. so. And he, he gave her some added information that was really helpful. And so I asked her, I said, okay, so at the end of the conversation, how did you end it? And she said, well, I thanked him that, you know, this was information that I didn't have and he rarely gives me this kind of feedback. And I said, that's great. So we, we've, we've somewhat reset it, it's not fixed yet, but there's been a reset. Now, how do we move it forward? It's having, making sure that you have more of these consistent conversations with him in in a productive way that will help build back the relationship. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's the way that you put that question Um, without coming in accusatory, just taking a step back and trying to be as objective as possible. I think is really helpful in that situation in order to be productive.
1: Yeah, she she's a highly emotional person. Uh-huh. So so one of the things we're working on is emotional intelligence as well,
2: mm-hmm. kind of managing
1: her emotions. Yeah, because she really wears them on her sleeve. Uh huh. And, and sh- she needs to to dial that back in certain instances. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Emotional intelligence is is situational. Yeah. You need to be able to read the situation and and determine um, how t- Interact with,
0: yeah. I think it's very much a learned behavior. That's something yeah. That something we're not born with this model of emotion intelligence naturally. We can pick up from, from peers and parents and friends. But yeah. when I first learned about that model, I was like, Oh, there's an actual like model to go by to understand different types of people. This is super helpful. I wish I had this from the beginning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <Is> that- <laughs> uh so i want to shift the conversation over to uh creating a nurturing culture mm-hmm. and there's two points i want to talk about um psychological safety and uh high accountability so let's for the first one what is how do you in order to get people to speak up and have these conversations say with their managers um these open and honest conversations you have to create that that psychological safety first. What are some recommendations of how companies can, can nurture that?
1: First of all, it doesn't happen overnight. Um, you've got to model it yourself as a leader. So in, in meetings, for instance, um, being open to ideas that you may not believe in, but making sure that they, the person feels like they're being heard is is definitely one thing. Um, the The other is is that um, making sure that in in meetings again that there there is time for everybody to be heard, so that you know you've you've always got one or two people that are that are the outspoken, and um, you need to facilitate the meeting in a way that everybody um, has time to to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, those those are kind of the baseline and and then it's having those one-to-one conversations where you you're not just talking about results but learning more about the person and and understanding them and their motivations and what they value um that that's really important um and asking them for feedback and making sure that when you do get the feedback that you do something with it and that you thank them for it.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, If you force asking feedback, meaning that you you haven't developed a, a, a trusting relationship with the individual, they're not, for instance, don't ask the question, well, how am I doing? that's such a generic question
2: mm-hmm.
1: The be specific with your question and say, you know, um, we've been working together for the last year. Um, what can I be doing differently to help you? Uh, uh-huh. what should I stop doing? What yeah. should I be doing more of? And that's more specific than how am I doing? Um, it's like, it's like the check-ins, um, the Zoom check-ins. How are you doing? Well, fine. <laughs> <laughs> really? really? <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. If you have those questions that you know the is going to end in, oh, good, fine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. It's a stupid question.
0: Yeah. Small talk. <laughs> So that was really interesting to learn about nurturing a culture of psychological safety and understanding that it it does take time to develop. So again, like everything else we're saying, start early. (laughs) Um, But I want to understand a lot of cultures from what I hear, don't have that accountability that helps Mm -hmm. make a company productive. Um, Meaning, we so often see things fall through the cracks, and you're like, wait! I thought you were on that." Well, no, I wasn't on that. You were on that, or or just people all of a sudden have temporary amnesia. <laughs> yeah. How do you, how can a company increase that accountability culture?
1: Well, I am a big proponent of um, a technique process that was created um, by Henry Evans, and he wrote a book called Winning with Accountability, and it's a four-step process, and it's really simple. The first is to get really clear about what you want from that person, and in order to do that, the person needs to be able to repeat it back to you so that you you know that they actually understand it. Mm -hmm. So often, we're, we're moving really fast, quick, and We'll, we'll shout out or, or email somebody um, some sort of task that needs to be done. And they don't, they don't get a clear direction and they go off and do it. And then they come back and it's two thirds right. And then it's a week later, it's late, etc. So clarity is really important. The second one is to make sure that there's a commitment with a specific date and time. It's not end of week or end of day or as soon as possible. It's, I'll get this to you by noon Eastern time Uh on Sunday the 5th. Very clear. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and that's something I I I now use really consistently with with clients. I'll say you know I will get this to you by X,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and if they add, say to me, well you know I'll get something to you by you know Friday. I'll say well what time Friday because you know I I just need to plan my my day accordingly.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the the next thing is. There needs to be just one person that owns it. It can't be the marketing department, (laughs) right? Uh It's it's Rebecca. Right. Okay. And then the third, the final one, fourth is um, make sure that if there are other people that have input that you need to make the commitment, that you communicate to them that I need to have this by by X. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So making it making it um, visible.
0: Yeah, definitely having those uh, clear deadlines or check-in points seems yeah. really important. Um, in addition to the clarity. Yeah. Of, and, and not rushing that. I think. Yeah. Making making the time for that. Mm-hmm. Giving people permission to ask questions. Yeah. Is, is also important, um, especially. I mean, depending on the dynamics of the relationship, if it's, if it's a pretty big, if the junior person say is intimidated or could possibly be intimidated by a senior leader, just giving that open platform to ask those questions is just as important. Yeah. I want to wrap this conversation up. We've we've learned so much from talking with you and and, and I know our listeners are going to just eat this all, all right up. (laughs) I want to wrap this up with obviously the the hot topic of the day on leading through COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Uh, as I understand it, your work has uh, shifted slightly to helping leaders maintain their energy and resilience during these challenging times. Um, so why don't you share with us a little bit about the work that you're doing now?
1: Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting. I've, Early on, it was was focusing on their mental health and emotions um, because it, everybody was trying to wrap their head around what was going on. Um, it's transitioned now to people are starting to re-enter the workplace. And um, their employees are in different places as it relates to re-entry. It's, getting the leader to understand and interact with the employees to to determine are are they mentally prepared are do they feel safe re-entering and it's making sure that the the, both the leader and the employee are healthy healthy mentally as well as, as as physically so I I again spend spend time with, with leaders on um, their communications and um, their kind of confident, motivating communications to employees, uh, but also reminding them that they've got a team of employees that should be able to help them, that not everything should be resting on their shoulders. They they should be asking um, you know their key employees for their ideas. And the the smaller the organization, I find the the more the the leader feels like that they have to shoulder it all.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: The 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 larger the organization, they've got more um, managerial capacity. Mm-hmm. And um, they're able to to move things off of their plate, and and and, tr- and empower their their leaders to lead uh-huh. versus, versus trying to to control the the process right. um, because you can't do it all, and um, it's if you if you try you're going to wear yourself out, and that you're not going to be good to anybody
0: else. Exactly. Yeah, that's uh, so true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Beth, I want to thank you for coming on to the show today. And I, I know our listeners are going to want to be connecting with you, um, possibly looking and out for that newsletter that you mentioned talking about dealing with difficult people. <laughs> Tell us where they can find you, your website, and how else they can connect with you.
1: Yeah, so my website is uh, executive-velocity.com and uh, there is a, a resource page that's got all sorts of downloadables and, and um, you can sign up for the newsletter there as well. And then um, LinkedIn is another great place to find me. I, you can find me using my maiden name. So it's Beth Arm Connect Miller, which is A-R-M-K-N-E-C-H-T. So I'm the only one out there. If you just put Beth Miller in, you're going to have a hard time finding me.
0: Well, thank you, Beth. Yeah, uh, I just have to say I've been to Beth's website and she has a very phenomenal website that offers so many interesting uh, articles and resources. So I highly recommend to check them out. Uh, You could spend all day on it. (laughs) Not saying I did. Wink, wink. (laughs) But again, thank you, Beth, for sharing all of your advice on how to manage talent uh, pre-COVID and post-COVID and telling us about um, helping executives with succession planning, recruiting and onboarding. All of these are just so critical to the resiliency of a business. So, again, thank you for, for sharing with us um, all your insights. Well, I enjoyed it, Rebecca. Thank you. Thanks. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget to download the next episode so you can listen to it on your next commute or trip. You can access more great insights and other goodies on our website at launchitspot.com. You can sign up for our newsletter there, which will notify you when we post the new goods. And of course, we always appreciate shares and likes by our listeners. Did you know that you can be featured on Launch? We are always looking for interesting people who are striving to become better leaders as well as subject matter experts in any of our content categories listed in our nav bar. Believe it or not, your story can inspire so many people. All you have to do is quickly apply on our website and we'll be in touch. Now, how are you going to lead the world?